You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Monday morning. Now, let's turn to our final guest and topic of today. In the next 15 minutes or so, we're looking ahead to International Angelman Day, which is on the 15th of February. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this and spread awareness. And I'm really delighted to be joined by Vivian Tam, whose son has Angelman Syndrome. And she joins us live in the studio to share her journey about this rare uh, neurogenetic disorder. Welcome on the program, Vivian. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much much for having me today. Um, we are live on uh, Facebook also, so I'd love for our listeners uh, to join us there today. Uh, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. You'll be able to see and hear Vivian there. So first of all, uh, Vivian, tell us uh, what is Angelman Syndrome? So Angelman Syndrome um, is a disorder, a neurogenetic disorder when the function of a particular gene called UBE3A on chromosome 15 doesn't work. And it's the mother's copy of the gene that doesn't work. So usually um, a child will inherit a um, copy of the gene from mum and dad. Um, if there's something wrong with the mum's copy, um, such as uh, a deletion. So if you liken it to the, um, the gene being like a book and there's like pages missing. So the gene can't be read, it can't function, it can't make the protein. Um, sometimes there might be a mutation in which um, the genetic code is, uh, there's a... a, a uh, substitution for a different base pair and it's sort of like having spelling mistakes so then it can't function. Um, sometimes the children may have two copies of dad's genes or an imprinting defect and because they don't have a mother's copy of the UBE3A gene it doesn't work and so this protein is just so so important for many things such as speech um, and um, uh, other sort of uh, cognitive functions. Yes, that's yeah. right. Okay. That's right. Um, and so, are there different types of Angelman syndrome then? Yes, there are. So there's the the deletion form, which is the most um, commonest form. So about seventy to eighty percent um, have this form. There is the mutation form. There is the uniparental uh, diasomy form, which is the UPD form, where they have the two copies of the um, the dad's gene and the um, imprinting defect form. Yeah. And um, is it easily uh, detectable? How do you? How do you? Is there testing available? So, so now there is testing available. So we were diagnosed um, through uh, blood tests. So they took blood samples from my son, blood samples from me and my husband, and from the sequencing there, they were able to um, identify which form he had. But we also went through like a first microarray panel. So that looks like um, it looks at. A number of different genetic disorders, but it didn't pick up at that stage because it just didn't. It didn't include that particular test. So the um, so the one for your son is not the common, uh, the most common type of angel. No, no, he has the UPD form. He has the UPD form. That's right. Um, by the way, I, I I do want to say thank you so much, Vivian, for for taking the time and sharing your journey with our listeners because you know it's sometimes it's it's never easy to share your own journey. But I really, we were saying just before the show, you know. Uh, talking, but by sharing your own journey, it can really help other families yes. in, in a similar situation. Um, so thank you so much. So, um, what were some of the first signs or or, or things that you spotted uh, with Xavier that you noticed that perhaps something was was not uh, he was not developing? So he, from a very young age, yeah, he didn't he didn't make any babbling sounds. He didn't really talk. Um, he didn't play with any toys. Like usually, babies when they're really young, they love toys. You give them something, they grab it. He just didn't do any of that. And even by the age of one, he wasn't. He was sitting, leaning forward. So I think that was a really, really obvious sign. Um, and then we then took him to a, a developmental pediatrician. 
is it quite com- I mean is is it quite a common it's, it's a rare syndrome but is it quite common in Hong Kong are there different cases do doctors have they seen uh, Angelman syndrome before yes yeah, so um, our clinical geneticist told us there's probably an estimated 50 or around 50 cases that he would um, know um, but I think there could be also some that may not yet be diagnosed or yeah because now the technology is much better than it used to be um, in in past back in the 80s or 90s yeah when the testing wasn't as good as now so yeah yeah so how do they test it so it would be like a genetic test they take blood samples from um, the child but also yeah. from the parents to yeah. see if you have so, the- so the first panel testing is usually just taking blood from um, the child and they um, do a panel array for various disorders if there's um, query about what kind of syndrome they may have so when if that is a positive result then you get a result if it's a negative result then you can do one of two things you can either keep searching for answers which is what we did or you can stop searching for answers so we were actually really lucky to be able to identify a cause for his um his delay his developmental delay so he he had global developmental delay he um was very behind at his age um, for in all, all sorts of um, things in physical capabilities, mental capabilities. And so I think getting diagnosed early really helped him a lot because we were able to do um, more early developmental. A lot of early in, intervention. In, in, yeah, early yeah. intervention such as um, physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, things like that. And it really helped him progress a lot. That's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Early intervention is key for many different sort of developmental uh, delays. Um, take us back, Vivian. When you were, when you first found out, you know, the diagnosis. How did your family sort of react? Um, and and what was what was it like getting the diagnosis? Oh, it it was actually really shocking because in that one moment you think, okay, he's not he's not going to have the same life that you envisioned him to have, and that was really hard. But we were really lucky that we have really supportive family and friends. Um, and at the end of the day, even with or without a diagnosis, um, Xavier is still such a sweet little boy. Yep, and he's he's just really, really happy. And he's really a real blessing in our lives. Absolutely, and he's so lucky to, to have you as a family and you are so lucky to have him as your little boy because I'm sure he's just brought so much joy and um, so much empathy, you know, within the people that he's he, he's met also. Um, I think so- sometimes um, when you get a diagnosis, um, like you said, uh, Vivian, it came that, that initial shock. Um, did you feel relieved to find out some answers because do some parents just never find out yeah, the cause? Yeah, you know, there's there's like 7,000 odd rare disorders out there and um, and many people, there are actually still probably many undiscovered disorders out there and so many different causes of um, yeah global delay. So yeah, I, I really do consider that we are lucky that we got diagnosis. Um, yeah, and were you able to connect with people um, from the Angelman um, um, sphere um, oh, globally? Yes, and, yes and that's locally. right. So in Hong Kong, we have the Hong Kong Angelman Syndrome Foundation, which I'm wearing the T-shirt today. Um, I got into in touch with Jason, who's the founder, um, quite quickly after we got diagnosed, and he's a lovely guy. Met his angel Chloe. Um, I've met various members of the global Angelman community, um, including those from the US, Europe, Australia. You know, those those parents, uh, caregivers, they're an amazing bunch of people. Um, they really um, 
they've driven forward a lot of Angelman research as well through fundraising and raising awareness. So it's been really fantastic. There's even um, different therapies that are undergoing clinical trial and, of course, multiple others that are like in, in the research um, phase. Yeah. Um, so Vivian, I follow you on, on social media and you are such a fantastic advocate. Um, you share a lot of uh, different sort of things that you do with Xavier and, and it, it, he's so cute with the calendar, with the, oh. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. And, you know, I, I think it's never easy to, to, to get, you know, the diagnosis, especially something that perhaps doesn't run in the family or, or, you know, you may not be so familiar with. Um, but then ultimately just being such a great advocate and to spread, um, awareness. Um, is there any treatment um, or, you know, rehabilitation for, for people with Angelman yeah. syndrome? So I think there's various um, therapies that um, you can do. So physical therapy really helps them to um, improve their core muscles, help coordinate their movements. So even in, in the case of Xavier, like when he was really young, he was a little bit chubby sometimes. And he used to just lie on the floor and we'd give him a toy and he'd sort of reach out and he'd just sort of like brush it with his hand and say, no, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> And we used to laugh at him, or oh, he's not moving because he's probably too fat. But actually, after we got di- like when we started some therapies, we actually found that he didn't he didn't know how to coordinate. So this yeah this this protein that um, cannot work in the brain because this loss of the mother's copy of the the gene, it really it's like um, it disrupts all the, some of the communication in your brain cells. So that's why they find it really hard to do any uh, coordination for movement, um, even. We take for granted even stepping, like walking, right? But for children with Angelman syndrome, it's a struggle, and there are actually even some children who can't who can't walk. So, with physical therapy, occupational therapy to help their fine motor skills, so maybe one day they can um, be better at using communication devices such as AAC, um, even to pick up and hold a spoon and and you know is put it AAC in their mouth. The really tablet. Hard. Yeah, yeah, AAC is the tablet. So there's there's various different devices. There's some that are on iPad. Also, there's book versions as well. So I think these tools are really great um, if we could we could help them and model this for them to learn um, as um, something that they could tell us what they want because they can't talk. At the end of the day, they can't use words to express what they want, um, you know, and and that is probably the hardest for us as parents and caregivers that we don't know what they want. If they're crying, you know, is it something that's hurting them? We don't know. We have to guess. And then usually it's like, okay, do they have a fever? Do they have a toothache? Um, is their tummy upset? Have, are they hungry? You know, or is their clothes too tight or the shoes? I don't, I don't you know. You just work through Yeah, all the you just have to work possible. through a list and, you know, until you hit the right one. But, you know, if they can communicate then that would be yeah that would be fantastic and yeah. and there's also um, seizures like eighty percent of children will get seizures by the age of three so we're lucky that Xavier hasn't but in that case there there is medication to um, try and help with seizure control I mean what sometimes causes the seizures it's just purely because of this loss of function in the brain so and this protein has caused yeah yeah the loss of function of this protein that, that brings it on but I mean there's a lot of triggers as well so you know if the child is getting a fever and they're unwell it could also bring on seizures and with every seizure like for different children it can actually impact on their progress as well well yeah seizures are dangerous mm. for, for anyone but especially very dangerous for children yes. and yeah that's right so Vivian how, how you know how do you communicate with Xavier how does he communicate with you um, does he understand or do children with, with Angelman sort of understand questions oh, or? I, I think they understand more than we think they yeah and I, I I think after meeting the group of um, global angelman mums and dads I think um, 
I think we really have to presume competence. So I think yes. we think because, okay, so he has the injuries in me, he can't do this, he can't do that. But actually, no, we, we shouldn't always assume it like that. We should, you know, presume competence, let them try, and, and they always surprise us. So Xavier understands a lot, and there's obviously there's some things he can't do or respond to. But, you know, he, he knows, he gives us these looks, and then he can smile. He's got this very cheeky grin. Um, he can push and pull away things. So if he wants, if he wants something, he'll get in my hand and he'll point me to it. Or if he wants me to do something, he'll grab my hand and put my hand on that object to help him move it or, you know, open it for him. So he has his own ways of communication. Even though he's nonverbal, there's so many other ways that, that he can communicate. Absolutely. Once I, I, I think I read somewhere that I think 40% is verbal and the rest is really facial expressions, That's gestures right. yeah. um, and, and whatnot. Um, how, how have you sort of navigated, as a family, how have you sort of navigated over these sort of challenges? Is there a support group or how do you go about, um, or, or is it different depending on the day? Uh, well, right now he's, I think it's better now because he's now in school. So school has given him um, good Structure, structure, I suppose. Yep, and they they actually incorporate all the therapies at school, so they have PT, ST, OT at school, um, and he, yeah, he, and now it's full day. It's even better. So exactly. <laughs> and so, soon yeah, the masks will be off. Yeah. Also, so he really struggled with masks because you know you, you you put it on, he'll rip it off. You put it on, you rip it off. He'll go through ten in like an hour, and it's it's really hard for him. So. Um, no, he's he's improved so much since we started therapy, and there's another huge improvement when um, that we've seen since he started school as well. Yeah. So, so what's everyday uh, everyday life like? Um. Uh, okay, <laughs> so he he loves to get into everything. You really you really need to keep an eye on them twenty four seven. So recently he um, he woke up really early one morning, and then we heard some rustling in there, and then. Um, I have a fantastic helper at home who, who's amazing. And she heard him first and she went out and he opened a box of these peanut butter filled egg rolls and he just, he ripped them open and he was smushing the peanut butter because he really loves sensory things and he loves playing with Play-Doh. So peanut butter's like great and, and crinkly, you know, crinkly plastic wrapping, crunch, crunch, crunch. He, he loves that type of thing. He loves playing with these type of things rather than actual toys. So he doesn't really have much of an interest in toys. That's Christmas give him sorted, a box, yeah. <laughs> give him a box, give him a crinkly plastic wrapping um, yeah, to open and he'll rip that apart. Um, Sleep-wise, he's he's not great. He wakes every night, but I mean, well, that's the thing. Yeah. I, I've also from from the research shows that you mm. know uh, perhaps some children or people with um, Angelman, uh, what's the sleep pattern like? Oh, uh, the sleep pattern it really varies a lot. I mean, some children could sleep relatively okay. Um, in our case, Xavier slept not great as a baby, but I think he's never ever slept more than ten hours a day, which mm. is not a lot for a baby. Um, he probably wakes on average one to two times a night. Um, there are other cases where children may sleep three hours a night every night. Wow. Um, some really need to be medicated to be able to sleep because, you know, if you're a parent or a caregiver, you can't function on no sleep all the time. No. Um, even even the children, I mean, they're, they're exhausted too. It's not that they don't want to sleep. It's because their brain is like, it's always switched on. It's buzzing. It can't, it can't, it can't let them sleep. Yeah, yeah, it can't switch off. And so some, quite often um, they may need some medication to help them because if, if the parents can't get sleep, they can't take care of their kids. They can't yeah. take care of themselves and the family. It's really, really hard. So sleep is a really big issue for um, Angelman families. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, yes. I mean, we often hear people complaining about the sleepless nights, but when you have a child with extra needs and doesn't sleep, mm. it can have a big um, impact um, right. on, on, on caregivers. Um, finally, Vivian, um, well, time flies. Uh, we're just coming up to, towards the news. Um, I do want to sort of say, out in the public, um, what sorts of awareness, you know, what, what are attitudes like? Do, do people sort of come up and say hello? What should people do if they see um, someone with angelmen or, you know, with other sort of um, extra needs and special yeah. needs? Yeah, I mean, some people, like, they look at Xavier, and Xavier is always looking around, and he loves to wave to people. He's very, he's actually quite social. He loves waving and saying hello to people. But, of course... He's a fantastic ambassador. <laughs> he is. So, I know there are always some... I'm glad this hasn't happened a lot, but, I mean, there was one incident where, like, some people would sort of judge you. It's like, they wouldn't be talking to you. They'd be talking about, about you, you next to whoever they're standing. It's like, oh, that and child is... Yeah, I can hear them. It's like that child, you know, oh, he's too old to be sitting in a chair, in a, you know, pram. And I'm like, well, you know, there's no problem with him using a pram because he needs to get somewhere and I can't carry him if he's not going to walk. I mean, he gets tired quite easily compared to your average child. So, you know, if, if they need to use it, then use it. I mean, they don't know who I am. They don't know who my son is. So, and they don't know the journey. No, yet. they don't. Do you ever say something back, or do you? Sort of- I did. I did sort of say something in a huff, but at the time I was just so angry. But now I'm sort of like, oh, I don't want to waste yeah. my time with you. It's like <laughs> just, you don't you don't know us, and you know just yeah, move on, move yeah. on exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, yeah, you know, you don't. The I mean, um, yeah, if people need to use it, they they use it. There's no need for people to judge them. Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, there's no need for judgment. Um, finally, Vivian, have you, you know, got a website for, for the, you know, the Hong Kong branch? Um, how can yes. people find out more, a little bit more about Angelman Syndrome? Yeah, so um, the Hong Kong ASF group is on Facebook and we also have the Global Angelman Syndrome Foundation as well as FAST, which is the Foundation for Angelman Syndrome Therapeutics. So February 15th, please do wear blue to help support Xavier, my son, as well as all our other angel children. Yeah. Well, Vivian, thank you so much for taking the time. What an amazing discussion. I'm, I'm sure our listeners learned so much. I definitely learned a lot. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to uh, chatting with you next time. Thank right. you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye.